0: Hello, my name is Christine Murray, Editor-in-Chief of The Developer, and welcome to The Developer Podcast, where we talk about how to design and develop cities worth living in, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings as much as the buildings themselves. I meet Angus Dodd, Chief Executive of Quintain, at the Wembley Park Development, where he takes me on a walk around these 85 acres and talks about his vision for the land around Wembley Stadium. Quintain has already built a number of developments around here. Most of them are built to rent. The properties are managed by Quintain or TP, which is a subsidiary. These all-inclusive flats provide social activities and social spaces and are really designed for a range of different kinds of renters who perhaps can't afford to buy, but still want to live downtown and in a nice location. There's also a number of shops around here. There's the London Design Outlet, there is a new box park offering lots of food venues and a new idea that when you come to a concert at Wembley or another event that you'd no longer spend your money in the West End and travel in and travel out but spend a little bit of time around the venue itself. It was a really cold day so Angus and I walked around the site um, a bit bundled up and a bit (laughs) windblown but I hope you enjoy this podcast.
1: My name's Angus Dodd, uh, I'm Chief Executive of Quintain, which is the owner of Wembley Park in North West London. Uh, I've been in the job since middle of 2016. Um, before that, I was at Lone Star, and Lone Star is a private equity fund, which is now uh, 100% shareholder, and Lone Star took Quintain private uh, from the public markets in the autumn of 2015. Um, and it was effectively my deal and they, Lone Star said to me, well, if you think it's so good, you should, you should go and run it yourself then. <laughs> it's really the, um, the short history um, and it's an absolutely fantastic job. You know, I, I genuinely could not ask for a more diverse, um, interesting, intriguing and challenging job than, than the one I have at the moment.
0: So tell me about what you're doing here, where we are?
1: Well, we are in a building called Lansby, uh, which is our most recent build-to-rent development at Wembley Park. Um, We're 12 minutes from Baker Street. That's the most important thing. Um, So um, we are not in the depths of northwest London. We're actually pretty close to central London. Um, Wembley Park, of course, is known all around the world for... For uh, England's national stadium, which in a previous, obviously in the previous, the the previous version of of the stadium was where uh, England famously won the World Cup in 1966. Um, But in 2007, that old stadium was replaced um, with the stadium that we we have now, with its iconic arch. Um, Also on site, we have Wembley Arena, um, the SSE Arena as it's now known. Um, which is actually a legacy of the Empire Exhibition in the 1920s. Uh, famously, or perhaps not so famously, um, it's the site of uh, the world's first wave machine um, in, a, in a swimming pool. Um, it was the home of the 1948 Olympic swimming um, and was reused, obviously, for the Olympics in 2012. So it's our one historical building, or properly historical building on site. It's a listed building um, from, from the 1920s. Um, so, you know, those two, the arena and the stadium uh, provide a lot of the, um, you know, what's Wembley known for? It's known, known for sport and for music, and it's really through those two venues that that, that, that arises.
0: But what you're doing here um, is a major uh, piece of city. So um, it's sizable. How many acres? Did you
1: yeah, say? so sure. So it... Um, so, Quintain bought its first piece of land in 2002. Um, uh, so, before when the old stadium was in, in place, um, our ownership now comprises 85 acres of contiguous freehold land in London, uh, which is an extremely rare commodity um, to own that much land. Um, to give you some idea, you know, Canary Wharf is a little bit bigger, I think Canary Wharf is 92 acres. Um, but Kings Cross is 60 odd, Battersea is 40 odd, so it is a colossal site, and you know it, it's big in in anyone's books. It's particularly big in the context of owning that much space in in London. I think the other key thing about it was that um, much of it was um, was car park or low grade property. Um, it didn't, you know, this is not a estate renewal a residential estate renewal project it's it's something that's almost been built from the ground up um so there was there were actually some legacy buildings from from the empire exhibition again um i don't know if some people will remember that old wembley conference center that the circular building um but the the quality of the buildings on site when Quintain started to buy the land and started to develop. was very was very low quality, low value, um, and low in value. And to give you some indication, in two thousand and two, one person lived on site. Um,
0: So, what was the atmosphere if you walked around here? What would it be like?
1: um, I think it was just there was no atmosphere. What you know, the typical thing, and I can remember doing it myself. you, if you were coming to a match at Wembley, you go to the pub in the West End. You would get out on the train, watch the match, and then get back to the West End as soon as you possibly could because there was nothing to do at Wembley. And and that's something that we're you know we're trying to change. Um, I think we are changing, um, and and to make this a place where people want to live, people want to work, um, people want to come and shop. Um, people actually just want to go to see what they might like to do rather than knowing in advance what they want to do at Wembley. I think we're beginning to get um, some of that Um, box parking opening at the end of last year. Um, The LDO London designer outlet, which um, until recently was the only outlet center inside the M25 um, has been open since 2013. Um, Hotels, um, you know, a Premier Inn, a Hilton. Um, we're beginning to create that, you know, that piece of city, that new piece of city that we've we've always aspired to build.
0: Box Park and the Outlet are they both, meanwhile, uses?
1: No, no. Um, so the LDO, the Outlet Centre, is definitely a permanent use. Um, Box Park, um, you know, frankly, I anticipate it being a a permanent use. Um, Though, um, you know, technically speaking, there's also consent for for a residential building on that on that site in the long term.
0: So, when you're looking at creating this as a more of a destination, more of a neighbourhood, uh, where do you begin?
1: Well, we, when Lone Star bought Quintain. Um, the big decision it made in respect of Wembley Park was to switch from you know, a largely for sale model to a largely for rent model. Um, and that in 2015 looked, um, it looked like it was probably a good idea, but quite a big bet. Um, you know, roll forward to 2018, and you know, I imagine another world where we had been building homes for sale rather than for rent and uh, you know the 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 story could have been disastrous would have been disastrous so um moving from for sale to for rent um I think that that's triggered a lot of the way we think about about the place um and about um you know the community that we're we're building um you know the rental market and uh, there are plenty of statistics that you can. You, you can access showing that the proportion of renters is increasing. Um, home ownership is tough in London or in the UK generally, but it's particularly tough in London because of affordability. And so there's real market, um, particularly for, I guess, I guess, an age group. It's probably an a older age group than one might imagine, but certainly 40 and below. Um, so, and <coughs> so we have to create something, have to create a, a place which is, attractive to, to that demographic. Um, on top of that, renters um, by the nature of the contract that they have with their building owner are transient. You know, they could be there for six months, they could be, you know, we would love them to be there longer, but but people can 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 move relatively quickly out of a rental home if, if what they're being offered isn't up to scratch. And so yeah, creating a place that was you know, continually attractive and um, interesting for residents, a place where they wanted to stay um, and didn't want to move from was something that we, uh, we thought, thought was important or is important. Um, equally, um, you know, it's a sort of you have a long-term contract for, with the place, or we, as owner, have a long-term contract with the place. Um, if we want people to rent here as opposed to just selling a building and moving on um, and without you know denigrating the efforts of the house builders you know economically speaking they are motivated to build and sell and move on as quickly as possible we're motivated to build and retain and retain tenants uh, residential tenants um, over the long period and indeed attract you know attract more. In as as we go on,
0: so knowing your customer yeah. is really important, and yeah. what makes them happy. So how how do you begin to look at that? Do you do you study your your demographic very closely?
1: We do, um, and we you know we're beginning to build up the data that we need um, on people who have already taken leases. But of course, we've also had to to try and. Uh, predict to forecast. You know what sort of people want to use our to come to our buildings in the future. Um, you know the the typical tenant, but to call them typical or average is is actually it's misleading. But the typical tenant would be in their early thirties, um, probably earning you know a, a little you know within ten percent of London median salary. So sort of um, early. 40s per year. Um, But but that average disguises this huge range, you know, from students who whose parents are clearly funding them to live here, which is great, um, and to families, um, you know, with sometimes with double incomes, sometimes with single incomes, and to a not insignificant older generation of renters, um, some of whom are downsizing. Um, some from the local area, but some from further afield. Um, so that's been our, that's experience of what we, of our tenant base at the moment. What we've also done is tried to, you know, predict uh, what sort of, to, to try and match our buildings to the, to the different segments of the market that we expect to be able to attract in the future. So, um, we, we have oh, um, t- 10 or 12 new buildings which are either under construction, it could even be more than that, but, but at least 10 new buildings which are either under construction or um, are planned and will be under construction in the next three or four years. And each of those buildings has a segment tied to it um, or, or multiple segments tied to it. And you know the segments could be uh, sharers, it could be families, it could be millennials. Um, it, not really students, but it, you know there 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 are some defined segments which then to which we then attached um, marketing speak names, which um, uh, I won't call them embarrassing. They're not embarrassing, but but you know um, savvy families, um, um, I can't remember, oh, plug and play. Um, but each segment has a has a has a name, and each building then is is designed with that um, with that segment in mind. Um, for example, in, in Canada Gardens, um, which is one of the big buildings which we'll, which we'll complete um, during the next 12 months, there's a one-and-a-half-acre podium um, with you know, pirate ships, um, play areas, um, a big uh, sort of clubhouse, um, but definitely a product aimed at families. And you're not going to try and let a flat that opens out onto the pirate ship to a millennial couple who don't have any kids. Um, So there's a real, you know, we work extremely hard on trying to, to, to fit the segments to the buildings. Um, I think just producing what from a pure design perspective, just building um, homogenous buildings would be a total failure and actually a total, um, uh, you, you know, it's not what the opportunity we have here is to build an interesting and diverse collection of buildings, and to just build a dormitory product, homogenous product uh, product would be would be a failure. So, different architects, different segments, different buildings with different amenity spaces inside them. So we're in this amenity space now uh, in the Lansby building. Um, the amenity space in the new buildings will look completely different to this and offer completely different facilities for for the tenants in those buildings.
0: So the room that we're in is a little bit like a dining room, a little bit like a boardroom table. Um, And I'm guessing that this is for somebody working from home or in a smaller apartment who wants to have a meeting or...
1: yeah you're spot on it's a dining room or it's a it's a boardroom table yeah, yeah, yeah that's absolutely right um, and you know there's a, there's a general trend it's not it's not um, something that's particular to Wembley but more and more people working from home um, flexible working uh, methods and so you know here we have an opportunity for people to come in and have meetings um, or indeed just come and work on their own um, If it's free, they can come and use it. If they want exclusive access, uh, they have to pay 40 pounds, I think, something like that for three hours. It's not very much, but they can have exclusive access for for a small payment. Um, Next door, we have a kitchen, uh, a proper fully functioning kitchen. And again, you can come down and use that and you can cook for people or bring somebody in to cook for you and you can eat in here. And then there's a third room uh, furthest away from us which is more but it's got a tv big tv and uh, lots of usb points so people can come in and um, can work in there and in some of the other buildings there are cubicles where we can go and have a look later but there are cubicles where people can make you know near enough soundproof cubicles there's rooms where kids can come down and play on their xboxes or play pool um, but you know There's a lot of talk in the press about amenity, and our view is that amenity is important, but there's no point in providing things that won't be used. And so again, matching amenity to the building, to the target market, is extremely, extremely important for us.
0: Are there things that you've changed on this journey? Because I know you mentioned that the first building was actually built for sale and then became a rent. Oh, yeah. But then, you know, what have you learned in this? Yeah,
1: yeah. No, no, that, that's absolutely right. So the first, the first building, which was delivered in April 16, um, called Elvin Gardens, um, was built for sale from the very beginning um, and, to be honest, somewhat butchered into shape, at, the, at you know, late on in order to make it rentable. So we converted... A couple of ground floor flats into amenity space, um, but they weren't designed for that. Um, and our second building, which was called Alto, really pretty much the same. Um, we didn't make the decision to. We made the decision to 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 make it for rent during the course of construction. So there were a few things we were able to do late on, um, but not not that much. The same for this building, give or take. Um, but the buildings that we have coming through in the future have have been designed for rent from the very beginning. Um, and it's, I mean, it's numerous small things. Um, so slightly different layouts of the flats, uh, a bigger goods lift, um, key fobs rather than keys. Um,
0: uh, Where do the layouts matter?
1: Uh, because you, if you, particularly if you're targeting a, a share and market, for instance, you want two equal-sized rooms. You don't want a big room and a little room. You want two en-suites if possible. You want them on either side of the living area rather than adjacent to each other. Um, but again, we would design differently for a family. You know, we, um, we also have some flats which are coming through in future schemes which are you know, um, uh, absolutely, with the share and market, in mind. So we have some three-bed, 3 bath. we even have some four-bed, 4 bath, um, which are probably unique within within London, that sort of you know purpose-built sharer flats. And it's a big market because, um, you know, for a four-bed, um, you know, th- a, f- a four-bed you could, I mean, conceivably you could have eight people living there. That's, in theory, I don't th- think it's unlikely, but, um, you know, Four bed costing it probably wouldn't be four thousand, but um, you know three and a half thousand actually per month between six people that's actually becomes quite quite a cheap flat um, in London terms um,
0: in terms of the cost, I know that I've looked at um, other schemes, and you think, well, there's actually quite a lot of services tied to it, but it is a slightly higher rent than perhaps the surrounding area. Is that the same case here? That it? Yeah,
1: needs- it's. I mean, there is no comparable product in, you know, in, in HA9. There's lots of 1930s houses which have flats in which you can go and rent from private landlords. Um, the offer here through TP is. And first of all it's all inclusive. So it includes utilities, uh, it includes Wi-Fi, it includes concierge service, um, in some cases it includes gym. So it's all inclusive, and that's definitely been been one of the the, the big uh key differential the differentiators of TP from the very beginning, which is that we will make this easy for people to rent um and people to understand the, the, the cost structure so we're now we're now offering you know zero deposit renting and totally all inclusive rents so not quite totally you you we, we can't pay people's council tax so they have to pay their own council tax but but that's the only additional it's the only additional um, occupancy costs that people people face um, so um you know, it, it, I would say that these flats are are expensive relative to the immediate market, um, but there's no comparable in the immediate market, so that's you know, um, it's a bit of a um, a, a non comparison. And then um, y- 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 you know, the the, the all inclusive nature of the of the offer. Um, and um, you know the fact that you, you know, you're getting a service level that you would not get from a private landlord. So also, if, you know, if something goes wrong, there's immediate on-site access to an engineer who would who would come and repair it. Um,
0: do you think that easiness is a, a big attractive factor to the residents?
1: Uh, yes, I do. I do. I mean, I look. I don't think it's. It's not quite unique to us there are other build to rent operators in the market but it's definitely why the build to rent uh, industry if you can call it that it's why it has appeal Um, because the experience you get from renting with a professional landlord to the experience you would get letting from you or me who've got full-time jobs and if somebody rings up and says the fridge is broken it what are you going to do you've got to ring your pet builder you've got to you know, you've got to find a time when the tenant is at home to get the pet builder to come in. Whereas, if that happens here, it's just you know, within within a small number of hours, the the problem is is fixed, or the problem has um, you know somebody's paying attention to the problem. So I think that's that's a real appeal. Um, you know, I think also that you know, the government has is is actively discouraging the private. Buy to let market through tax disincentives, and so actually the, you know, the supply of private landlord flats is is decreasing. Um, you know, at the extreme, you know, people do have bad experiences. I mean, I'm not saying that all private landlords are rogue are rogue landlords. That's a, that's you know that's clearly not right. But um, we we ran a competition this time last year through Time Out. Um, where we got people to uh, tell us what their worst experience of renting in in London was. And we had 19,000 entries. But um, there were some great stories about, um, you know, usually involving rats and rodents and (laughs) and, um, leaking roofs and, um, you know, abusive landlords. And you don't get any of that here.
0: The rental revolution is what it's... Uh, rental rebellion, oh, the, right. rental rebellion, yeah, the rental rebellion, of course, yeah, uh, and yeah. it's it's quite a big marketing campaign.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, look, we um, you, you know we are you know we are a place that needs to market itself. You know, Wembley has a, or had a reputation, didn't you know? It's it's not. Um, I guess it's like a lot of these places. I mean, you know, Canary Wharf, King's Cross, you know. Battersea Power Station, uh, London is is I think very good at, at letting places emerge from relative uh, despondency to to actually relative attraction attractiveness and and that's what we're doing. I mean we we are you know we're clearly um, you know with Brent Council's help and lots of it's not just us but but we're pushing Wembley Park as a as a destination and as an up and coming neighbourhood. Um, and within that, as a subset of that story, there is, you know, we, we definitely want to attract people to come and live here. And the idea behind the Rental Rebellion uh, marketing plan was that, you know, you, you come on renters, you can rebel against what, you, what your previous experience has been. Um, and here's, you know, a, a way um, through what TP offers, um, you know, there's a way to do it differently. Um, and to rebel against the um, the past and what what people have experienced in the past, and the
0: tremendous pressure to get on the housing ladder, presumably. Y-
1: yes, I mean, you know, we are. You know, there's some very you know, it's very clear now that, um, and I don't think the you know Brexit, if we're allowed to mention it. Um, you know, it won't change this which is that there's you know there's population growth within london uh, house prices are are too high and house prices need to come down by half in order to redress that that unaffordability metric so over time maybe that happens but but in the next within the next 10 20 years um the pressure on housing in london is only going to increase and it's going to be tougher for people to get on the housing ladder and save enough deposit to buy a home. Uh, yet people should be able to, you know, it should be should have access to good quality homes. Um, you know, they sh- they, sh- they should shouldn't be forced to live in in substandard flats. And um, you know, and that's what the build-to-rent, the PRS um, industry is really seeking to. You know, that's the gap that it's seeking to. To fill, um, I think also there's something else going on, which is that, you know, and, it, and it's to do with Uber and Netflix, and you know this idea that you don't need to own a car, you don't need to own a TV. You you, you know that there's that, that it's attractive to some people to have that flexibility and to feel that they could. Um, you know they could li- go and try Wembley Park for six months. We'd obviously like them to stay longer, and then they'll go and live in the Olympic Park for six months, and then they'll go to, you know, Elephant and Castle for six months. And and that you know actually, I think for some people there's an attraction in that in that flexibility, um, and perhaps it's born from, you know, not being able to get on the housing ladder. But but nevertheless, it's it, you know there's there's. This move away from ownership and a bit more of a transient relationship with your, with your, 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 your material possessions, I think, is a, is something that that, um, that that has encouraged the the build-to-rent industry as well. I think the other thing is that you know, from an investment perspective, um, and you know, we we have a we have a um, a shareholder with with lots of capital and deep pockets, and one of the things that attracted loan Star to this was definitely the opportunity to build, you know, long-term income streams, um, which should be more or less um, index-linked. Um, there's a strong correlation between, between rent and inflation. There always has been. Um, and so the, so the sort of existence of institutional appetite for the completed income streams or the income streams that the completed product produces, that's also been a... Um, you know, a significant um, driver in the in the industry, and, and has encouraged developers like us to to do what we're doing.
0: I read something about uh, how long people who've bought in Nine Elms anticipate to stay, and it was a it was very short. Was it? it was maybe what Yeah. Maybe yeah, one, yeah. W- they were anticipating to move between one and two years. Um, what does success look like here in terms of how long, on average, you're kind of guessing people will stay?
1: Um. We, you know, oh, um, so how shall I answer that? Um, so, you know, we would definitely like 60 to 70% of our tenants to stay at the end of their leases. Um, and leases are really a minimum of six months up to, I mean, we, we, we would grant long-term leases, um, but people have tended not to grant long-term leases. So I'm answering your question in a roundabout way. But so, so firstly, we would like, you know, retention rates to be 60 or 70 percent. And that's a number we're, we're moving towards. We're below, we're below it at the moment, but we would, we're, we're moving towards that number. Um, and then within each building, we would like, you know, you, you want to have some vacancy. Um, the whole time, so you've got room to to move people around if they want to move up or down in size of flat, and also, of course, you, you know you want you want you want there to be demand for, for for your vacant buildings. So we would like to have our buildings running at sort of ninety five to ninety eight percent occupancy, and that's what the the two completed buildings are running at. That this is obviously relatively new, so it's it's still in lease up in lease up mode. The building we're in now.
0: Do you have a sense
1: what drives retention? Uh, yes, we do, um, so, you know, we're building up data now on why people leave, um, at this point I would say it's, it's, you know, it's people have got, they split up with their girlfriend or split up with their boyfriend, they've got a new job, they had to move, um, um, because because work have asked them to move somewhere. Um, it doesn't seem to be... Uh, we get very little evidence that people are moving because they don't like Wembley or moving because they don't like TP, uh, which is obviously a good thing from our perspective. Um, it goes back to my point about it being transient. I always think about it, you know, in the, in the, in the sort of hierarchy of life's decisions, where does... Um, where does renting sit so probably you know getting married is maybe the the most significant decision you make buying a house second or maybe having kids a second or third Uh, you know you you, buying a car going on a big holiday you know where and it's somewhere around there but it's buying a car or going on a big holiday i think is is so you can you know you can make it's not. It's not a huge decision. It's a significant decision, but it's not a huge decision. So people are prepared to make it. You know, every how often do you buy a new car? You know, every five years, every four years, I don't know. How often do you go on holiday? You know, more frequently than that. So, so that's so, and that's you know, when we talk about our marketing, and you know, that's what we're that's that's what we're trying to to, to You know, to um, uh, to replicate is make people making that decision. Um, or that level of decision to come,
0: to come here. It's partially done. We've got lots of building still to come. When does the whole vision complete?
1: Well, if we keep going at this rate, um, and we didn't buy any more land, then uh, 2026, 2027.
0: So fast forward to 2027, let's say, yeah. and I'm walking around. What's it like?
1: Uh, it's interesting, uh, there are bits that you didn't expect to see, there's some nice open spaces, there is some good quality architecture, uh, it doesn't feel like a gated community, it feels like you can visit or live and shop or work and you know, it's sort of the same experience. Um, it feels like somewhere that has meshed in with the surrounding community, and that's both physically, so that you don't feel that you're, you know, you're walking into a gated community, as I said, um, but also sort of emotionally and socially, that that people who live outside feel that they can come in and shop here, uh, people who live outside could work here. Um, I'd also like. Uh, beyond that, you know, the, the, I think this you know, interaction between, you know, people working here and living here. So we already have, we have, we have some artist studios and, uh, that you can see across the garden there. Um, so we, we have, you know, one of the artists has just taken a, a flat in, teepee, in a teepee building. And that that I thought that was great. That means at last there's you know, well not at last, but we're beginning to see. right well it's only one, but we're beginning to see somebody who who has got some workspace here and has bought into the place to the extent they're willing to, um, to to take a take a flat. And I'd like to see it in reverse as well. So I'd love to see some 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 residents in our buildings, you know, setting up little businesses or going to work in Box Park or going to work, you know, for Brent Council. Um, and so you know this two-way flow because I think that's how um, that's how the place will become a, a, a you know it, it won't become a transient place if that happens people people will buy into it for the for the longer term or will have bought into it for the longer term.
0: So those are high. I mean that it, I, we've talked with other people about that um, the challenge of the edge of an of an estate. Um, the challenge of, of that permeability and that to and fro from the surrounding neighbourhood. H- how, um, how do you deal with the crossing in the road?
1: Well, you, you know, look, you, you, you have almost a grid system. We're looking at a plan here in front of us. You have, have almost a grid system that has some natural flow through. Um, you also have this big sort of ceremonial route from Wembley Park Station to the stadium itself. Um, so it's, you know, it's making sure that the, 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 the boundaries that the buildings which are facing outwards don't look like walls, um, that they, you know, particularly it comes down a lot to ground floor level. So it would be, the easy thing to do would be to put all our interesting building, all our interesting uh, ground floor retail uses sort of facing inwards, whereas actually, you know, if we can make them facing outwards, then that, that starts to pull people, pull people in. Um, it's small things like you know at the at the junctions, you know making sure that people can see get get good visibility and there's a sort of sense of intrigue in wanting to walk down those routes, um, you know some of it's to do also with the with estate management and security um, and you, you know not for example, discouraging skateboarders and scooters on site you know we. We should invite those sorts of uses onto site. Um, there's an area down at the bottom here called um, Whitehorse Square, um, close to Wend- Wembley Stadium tube, and we just have been interviewing architects or in fact selected architects at the moment um, to you know to redesign and and, and redevelop that and you know yeah uh, you know, one of the pieces of the brief was to design areas or create areas where which appealed to you know teenagers what you find in a lot of places there's lots of lots of stuff for toddlers to do there's lots of sort of you know play spaces which is fine but but actually people grow up and um you know we we would um you know i love that area on the south bank where you know the skateboard parks Mm -hmm. now that's hard to recreate but um but areas like that um across the site we run these parkour classes across the site from our community center at the Yellow. And, that, and that's, all oh, right, it's a small thing, but it's definitely, you know, the, the idea being that it should, should invite in, um, you, you, you know, uh, teenagers, kids from around who, who uh, perhaps wouldn't normally come into the site, but, but there's something interesting for them to do here. And, um, uh, it feels which, which radical
0: to me that you're looking to attract teenagers, I don't hear that a lot. That's part of this idea that you want people to stay.
1: Yeah, I want people to stay. I want people to, to well, there's two things. I want people to live in the, I want people to feel that they could have a house for the long, or a flat for the long term here. And if they have kids, kids grow into teenagers, so you can't emasculate the teenagers. You can't ban teenagers. You, you know, you, you have to encourage them. in. that's number one. But secondly, you know, Brent is, um, you know, we, we're sitting in urban London here. We're not, where, you know, thousands of people. You know, look from the top of our buildings here, and you just see the endless suburbs of Northwest London stretching out forever. And you know, I want you know, this, this should this I've said it before, but this should be a development that that, that meshes in with those those suburbs, not somewhere which it's exclusive. Um, you know, to the people who can you know, can afford to live here or, or, or wish to live here. I don't see it as that radical, really. I just think it's, you know, it, it's it's just normal.
0: And it's part of making a good piece of city is one that yeah, yeah. people have fun in. Yeah, people have fun in.
1: And that's, you know, I, I think you think you've... Actually, that's very well put. You know, what what to people, um, you know even before we started doing anything, what would people have associated Wembley with? Well, actually is having fun, you know, it's coming to matches, coming to gigs, either at the arena or the stadium. And that's, you know, and I guess what we want to move from is, well, I only come to Wembley to have fun with something I bought a ticket for to somewhere where I can come and have fun, you know, 365 days a year.
0: So another challenge maybe um, is that in some of the newer developments, you have kind of that mix of affordable. You might have a mix of social, and you might have um, as well as uh, shared ownership, and then maybe even luxury and or less expensive. But here, how does that work in terms of creating a social mix? Is there a worry that? You end up with more of a mono culture just because of the nature of Pierre
1: yeah I mean we we definitely um, it, you know we, we of course you know, there is social housing affordable housing on site and it 's as you rightly say there 's a full gamut of of different tenures so there 's discounted market sale, discounted market rent there 's London Housing bank um, some of it's been sold off to housing associations. Um, but actually in the the, the model we 've been trying to move to um, for all the future plots is that TP itself will manage the social housing, particularly the discounted market rent, um, not the sale stuff, but the discounted market rent so that actually i mean i'm sure people will guess, but you shouldn't really know whether your neighbor is in a discounted flat or in a full price flat because the management's the same that the the, 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 um, the fit outs the same
0: so to kind um, of have a bit more yeah, cohesion in yeah. the side.
1: you talk to if you talk to Brent um, you know they are very keen on um, you know mixing mixing affordable tenants and and um, and and you know RTP residents um, and this is a good this is a good thing and that um, you, you know you, you clearly don't want Ghettos, or um, you know, real distinctions between you know between affordable and and, and full 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 price flats. Um, and by the way, I may mean, take you to see it, but um, yeah, the uh, affordable housing in this building here is spectacular. With this, well, you can't quite see it from here, but with this great prow, um, sharp edge prow, um, which Flanagan Lawrence designed. Um, I think the, the flats in that, which are affordable flats owned by network, are right? absolutely spectacular.
0: This podcast has been brought to you by The Developer. Produced by Simon Mercer. With music by Fortet. I'm Christine Murray, and you can reach me on Twitter at at TCMurray. For more podcasts, visit us at thedeveloper.live.